Well, Pastor has asked me to minister on marriage this evening, so that's exciting. I had a man, <laughs> the, the men at Pastor Files Church really, really enjoyed Pastor's sermon on lazy husbands. And I don't even know what sermon that was, but they've all listened to it. And this one man said, Okay, I need you to give one. What did he say? For selfish wives. That's what he told me. I said, What's your name? Because I'm going to say it so your wife knows you said that. <laughs> but I've forgotten his name right now. But that's not going to be the direction of my service. I want us to keep in mind the day we live in, and I don't think that anybody can go very far and realize how perverted the day is that we live in and how our culture wants to change us and shape us into its image, not God's image. And Pastor said in a service several months ago that culture is one of the greatest blind spots in a man's heart especially concerning family, and as tonight we're going to look at our marriage. If you turn on the TV, which hopefully you don't do much, but there's so much perversion on there in the way of family. They have... They started with TV shows mocking the husband, making fun of dad, undermining his authority, making it funny for mom to sneak behind his back and kids to lie and do what they want. And it's just total perversion. It's not God's blueprint for our marriage. Amen? Our culture teaches us to be selfish, narcissistic, throw social media in the mix, and it, it makes you think that your opinion matters. It doesn't matter. God doesn't say anything in this Bible. What's your opinion? What, Ms. Amanda, what do you think about this verse? He didn't ask me that. You know, one of our moms told their daughter that didn't want to go to class, I don't want to. And she said, it doesn't always matter what you want. And I was like, oh, that was so nicely put because I just usually say, I don't care. Do it anyway. <laughs> But it applies to us as adults. God doesn't ask us if we care in any of these verses. Our job is to line our life and our way of thinking and our heart's way of emoting and our will's way of wanting to what this Bible says, even including our marriage. So it doesn't matter that on Facebook your opinion matters or on Snapchat or whatever else everybody cares what you think. God doesn't ask us what we think, amen? And a good mom and dad doesn't either. I mean, sometimes maybe you can ask them, would you like this for dinner or this? But when we teach our kids that they get to have their way every way, then we spoil them. Because as adults, you and I know, we don't get our way every day. Try that with your boss. That does not work. Try that with a police officer or even driving because sometimes I wish I could part the waters and make people move out of my way when I'm driving. But I don't get to do that, right? <laughs> so I want us to look at tonight, my heart is that I want us to see our, our marriage as a gift. Amen? And if you're single, I want you to pray for God to bring you that gift. If you're older and single and you truly have no desire at this point to cross that bridge again or at all, then look at your, your kids' marriages or the marriages in here as a gift, and there's still something that you can glean from a service on marriage if you're adamant that that's not going to be part of the rest of your days. Does that make sense, everybody?
Okay, so if we think of our marriage as a gift, and it is from God, honestly, I hope you leave here thinking more highly of your spouse than you came in. That's my goal. I want you to love your spouse more when you leave here. That's my goal for us. Amen. If the Lord Jesus, our Savior, stood here and gave us a gift wrapped up in this pretty bow, would we just throw it down and stomp on it? No. Would we poo-poo on it? Would we kick it to the thing? Would we throw it in the back of our car and not think of it again? No, if the Lord Jesus was in here and gave us a gift, I'm trying to keep this off my cheek, gave us a gift, we would treasure, we would be so blessed and so thankful, and we would treasure that. Whatever was in that box, we would make sure nobody bumped us to get to the car. We would probably seatbelt it into a seatbelt if it was big enough or make somebody sit and hold it. You know, when we were dating, I'll tell off on Pastor and just tease him a little because it fits. He had just gotten that Tacoma, the truck that he just sold. And we had gone to go, we, we were going caving on a date. And we had, it was snowing. Okay, it was snowing, so it was cold and a little wet and sloshy. But we're going to a cave, so the temperature's all the same. But this is a new truck. He had never bought a brand new truck before, so he treasured it. So we are driving through a little bit of a wooded path. And so he said to me, do you mind to get out and hold that branch back so I can drive through? (laughs) So his new truck wouldn't get scratched. And he still takes care of his vehicles today, and there's probably not a scratch on that unless the new owner has put one on there because he still takes care of his vehicles. But I just, I tease him a little bit with that. But we would be the same way if the Lord Jesus gave us a gift tonight. Amen? So I want us to look at our spouses that way, okay? And I want to show you some verses to help solidify that in our heart. Because if we don't, if you're sitting here and you're like, Wow, Miss Manda, you don't know what my husband said to me on the way to church today, or you don't know how she fails every day to do the things that are most important to me, and it could go on and on and on and on. But hopefully we can wash ourselves with the Word and see things His way, because His Word is true, and that's what I was stirring myself up with today when I was running. Man does not have the final say in any area of our life. Man does not have the final say. So if your husband was a grouch today, your wife was foolish today, that's not the final say. God's word is always the final say. Amen? So when stuff falls in our lap or comes against us, or you may sit here tonight and think your marriage is hopeless, or what do you mean my my spouse is a treasure? I don't even like him or her right now. Those days happen if you're honest, you know. But God's word is still the final answer if we choose to apply it and do it. Amen? So even if your marriage tonight is in a tough spot and you can't say, ooh, I treasure my spouse sitting beside me or my spouse not sitting beside me, where that, you know, uh, it can change. Amen? The word of God is still true and it can change. So God's word is the final answer. The Bible says his word is life to those that find it and health to all their flesh. We pray that a lot for healing, but we pray that his word is life to 
everything. His word is life to your finances. His word is life to your thinking. His word is life to your marriage if you want it to be. His word is life to your education, to your business, to whatever seems to be drowning in your life. His word is the life preserver. Amen? I love the word of God. It brings victory. It brings victory. We have to confess it. We have to sow it. But the word of God brings victory. And the, Jesus said in red letters, thy word is truth. So nothing else matters. Thy word is truth. So something might be scary. Something might be wonky. Something might be off. Something might be in the red. But thy word is truth. And that is the only reason that I am here today. And I know that is because of the word of God and the word of God that I've put in my heart, the word of God that I've sown, the word of God that I've watered, the word of God I've put in me and believed and made part of who I am and done. We don't, you know, we deceive ourselves. We know the Bible says that when we just hear and don't do. So we have to do, but the word of God is our life preserver. So I want us to look at Romans first please. Romans chapter 12. And this first part of my message, I can credit to Pastor Brett and Miss Bobby. I think it'll make sense to you in a minute. Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read just a few verses here. I want you to see it. Your Bible may not say it. Some versions do, some don't. The heading above verse 9 in my Bible says, behave like a Christian. So this applies to all of us, whether we're married to not, but if whether we're married or not, but if we are married, we're going to apply it to our relationship with our spouse. If we are not married, we can apply it to every other relationship in our life. So I don't want you to sit here and harumph at me because you're not married thinking, well, this doesn't apply. Yes, it does. Because you're supposed to behave like a Christian whether you're married or not. Amen? Okay, so, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality, And I'll stop for right there. You can go on to read all the way down through verse 21, but for the sake of time, I'll stop. I want us to focus in on verses um, 9 and 10. Let love be without hypocrisy. Another version of that says, let love be genuine. That is in the, I would tell you, English Standard Version. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And that's what I want us as husbands and wives to truly try to focus on, outdoing one another in honor. How well do you honor your spouse? One of the things that I think when they, maybe one of their first times back from Uganda, they were sharing and they shared about how they would race each other to the coffee pot to see who could outserve one another to give to serve that cup of coffee and that's that stuck with me i must not have been doing that for pastor chris at the time um, but if we apply that let us 
truly try to outdo one another in honoring one another. You know, marriage is not designed to be like the leeches, you know, <laughs> give and give, just take and take and take. You know, like Pastor Chris has shared about his dad, this relationship is a two-way street. You know, if you keep taking, you have to deposit something in here or there's going to be nothing left. Amen? The New Living Translation says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Supposed to take delight in honoring your spouse. Now, maybe you sit here tonight and you think, whoa, that's a far stretch from where I am right now. But hopefully we just keep washing ourselves with this word and we can get there. Amen? That'd be your faith confession if you're not. I declare that I take delight in honoring my spouse. I take delight in serving him or her. I take delight in doing the things that bless him or her or please him or her. New King James is what I read to you. Take delight in honoring one another. It, it provokes me. One of the verses that we pray a lot is 1 Corinthians 13, and we may touch on it again at the end, but, but verse 5 in the Amplified says, God's love in us does not insist on its own way, for it is not self-seeking. Marriage is not going to go well when both of you are self-seeking. But if both of you are giving and honoring one another, it's going to propel your marriage to great heights. But even if one person is just self-seeking, if you have a balance and this side is taking, 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 seeking, 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 only for their own interest, only for their own desires, only for their own pleasure, only for their own, their own, their own, their own, whatever, it pulls, your balance, it pulls the balance of your marriage out of whack. And it, it will strain, eventually, the person that is trying to honor, that is trying to serve. It's going to put a strain on them. Another verse I want us to look at. So we're going to mark that. We're going to declare that we're going to take delight in honoring our spouse. We're going to take delight in serving our spouse. And we're going to try to outdo our spouse in service. We're going to outdo our, our spouse in giving or taking care of them, whatever it is that pleases them. We're going to try to outdo them. And if we're single, let's apply that to our friendships. Let me be the one that gives. The Bible says we have to be friend, show ourselves friendly to have friends, so show yourself a servant in friendship. I try to teach my, my children that. This applies to every age, wherever you are. You know, I try to teach the girls in justice be a servant. Be the, be the kid that encourages. Be the kid that is helping other people. Don't be the one that's always taking and only thinking about yourself. Kids don't want to play with kids like that. And I feel sorry for somebody if they're married to someone like that. I love my husband. I'll just take a minute to brag on him, if that's okay. He is always asking me, honey, what can I do to help you? Honey, what can I do to relieve burden from you today? If he gets to go home from the office earlier than me, honey, what can I do for you at the house? What can I do to make your night easier? That, that's the kind of stuff I mean, that's easy for me to say, what can I do for you? When, when you're both doing those things, but if you're only rushing out the door, taking care of yourself, just making sure you've got your dinner and your feet are propped up or you know, the wife, I got my whatever, 
and not even thinking about the other person, then that causes a strain. And we don't want that. We want to be servants in our marriage. We want to be givers. We want to be taking care of that person and honoring them. Because your, your spouse is God's daughter or God's son. And if you think about, like, I'll go back to my kids because that's the biggest thing that I have to relate anything to these days. But when my kids are naughty and maybe do something out of character, one of them did recently, kind of made fun of another friend. And it broke my heart. And it broke their heart when I broke it down for them as well. You know, and I said to her, honey, I wouldn't want you to play with somebody that treated you like that. You know, if, if somebody was treating you that way, I would encourage you to play with somebody else, you know. And we, we can do that in our, our marriages sometimes. We know the sin of famili- familiarity. One of my kids asked me, like, why is there even that thing? Because we talk to them about you can get familiar with your siblings, you can get familiar with your parents, and then sin can easily creep in. And they're like, but why is that even a thing, Mommy? Well, because we have a sin nature, and it just is. But it can be there with our marriages, too. We, it can just be Bob. It can just be Frank. It can just be Marlon. It can just be Kate. It can just be Tammy. That's just Tammy. She's going to be there regardless whatever time I get home. I mean, Chad doesn't treat her that way, Mr. Chad. Sorry. But we can let that stuff creep in and really take advantage of the gift that God has given us, the treasure that God has given us. Let me move on here. I have five pages of notes, and I'm on page one. We won't get through all of them, but that's okay. So I want you to look at Hebrews 13, 4, or you can just write it down if you want to. It says marriage is to be honored by all. Marriage is to be honored by all. That verse goes on to say, in the marriage bed undefiled. But marriage is to be honored by all. We are called to honor our marriage. You're called to honor other people's marriages and respect them, right? You're called to honor your parents' marriages, your co-workers' marriages. That that would be why you wouldn't go to lunch with the opposite sex if you're a married individual, because you honor your marriage. You want to uh, abhor the appearance of evil, right? You don't get too friendly. You don't chat. Oftentimes, even if I have to text a man in the church, I will include the wife on the text just so that it's all pure in the eyes of everybody involved. So marriage is to be honored. So if you find yourself thinking, well, I don't like my marriage. I don't like my spouse. This is your verse to pray. I declare I I, I honor my marriage. I honor my marriage. Father, teach me to honor my marriage. Father, show me how to better honor my marriage. That's your verse to pray. We have this prayer assignment. These are verses that we can include in there if we're struggling in any of these areas. Uh, The NIV says marriage should be honored by all, which lets us know it's not, and we can look at society and know that it's not. But marriage is the foundation of our society, and our world, going back to my exhortation in the beginning, is destroying everything that God says is holy and pure. It mocks everything that the Bible says is honorable, is marriage, is a true family. So it is our jobs to make sure that we're continuing to honor what he says we need to honor. And marriage should be honored by all. I mean, 1 Peter 3, 7 exhorts husbands to honor their wives. So that's where we see honor in our marriage again, to honor her... Um, as the weaker vessel, weaker vessel, 
honor just for some, I like to see different words to help me paint a bigger picture. Um, The definition of honor, which we most of us know, but is high respect. Am I respecting my spouse highly? Do I respect their interest? If this is important to my husband, why isn't it important to me? Because if I respected him, that would be important to me. If this is important to my, my wife, why wouldn't it be worth my time to make it happen for her if I respect her, if I honor her? So high respect, worth, merit, to revere. Another one is not treating as common. Your spouse is not just a common person. Your, your spouse is not equal to your coworker. Your spouse is not equal to your boss. You know, if you respect your boss more than you do your spouse, you need to readjust your way of thinking. You should respect your boss, but you should respect your spouse greater. You should not respect your pastor more than you respect your spouse. You are in covenant with your spouse, right? You should honor your pastor. You should respect your pastor. But you, the Bible tells women to honor and respect their own husband. God knew those women had a pastor, So your pastor should not get more respect than your spouse does. Amen. You guys, AJ works here, and he is very good to think ahead of the curve for everything. Hannah does too, but she's not married yet. Um, But I have told Mr. AJ, don't you do something for me that you won't do for Melina. You're not going to treat me better than you treat her. Don't you do for pastor what you won't do for Melina. You, I mean, I, it's great. We're happy to have people that can think ahead and help us do things, but I don't want someone's spouse being neglected because we're being taken care of because that marriage should be esteemed higher than even pastor and myself. Amen? So some practical ways to honor your spouse. I put these in here for us. Pray for your spouse. You should be doing that anyway. You're praying together right now, hopefully, but pray for each other while you pray together. Let your spouse hear you declare the word of God over her or him. Let your husband hear that you think he's a holy, righteous man of God, that he has the wisdom of God for your family. Let him hear those things. Faith comes by hearing. Men, I know for me to hear my husband pray over me and declare things over me, it it builds me up on the inside. And I know I'm not alone in that. So pray over each other while we're praying together. Put his or her needs above your own. Amen. Right? We're called to serve them. We're called to honor them. Refuse to get offended at your spouse. Just refuse it. Just declare, I'm not getting offended at my spouse. Is your spouse going to fail you? Absolutely. Is your spouse going to hurt your feelings? Absolutely. Single people, it's going to happen. When you get married, your spouse is going to hurt you. You live together. Of course, they are going to fail. They're going to hurt you. They might even do it on purpose because they know how to push your buttons. But refuse ahead of time. I'm going to walk in love. I am not... 1 Corinthians 13, love takes no account of the evil done to it, takes no account of a suffered wrong. The God kind of love in us can overcome and refuse to be offended at your spouse. My goodness, if we get offended at somebody that loves us, that we take our clothes off in front of, how on earth are you going to be able to stand against anything else? 
Amen. Someone that, you know, if they love God, maybe they meant to in the moment, but they really didn't mean to. They don't really want to hurt you most of the time. They may have wanted to get a jab in there because you poked them first. Amen. But they don't really want to hurt you. So refuse offense in your marriage. Listen to what is important to your spouse. And make an effort to do that for them. If it's important to them, like I said before, if you know for sure it is important, my husband does not like the door from our garage to our house to not be latched all the way. And sometimes kids run in and out, and that door is not latched all the way. He does not like to come home and not have any lights on outside the home when it's dark. It would be foolish of me to just say, oh, well. I love him. I respect him. Honoring him is as simple as turning on the light switch and thinking about closing the garage door and making sure that the kids do when they run in. If we know what's important to our spouse, why can't we just give that to them? Why, why do we have to just stand our ground? You know, pride. Make an effort to do what blesses your spouse and sacrifice your desires for theirs. Be a giver in your marriage. Give your spouse what blesses them. On a date night, give your spouse what blesses them. On a vacation, give your spouse what blesses them. You know, apply that to whatever situation you want to. I want to go through a few verses here because I want you to see that marriage is God's plan. It is his plan for us to be married. And that does not mean to hurt or diminish somebody that's in a different phase of their life. Like I said, we have older single people. Maybe they've been there, they've done that, they don't want to go back. That is between you and the Lord. But we wash everybody, right, starting from youth up, and we want young people to know it is God's will for you to be married. Marriage is it's a sacred place. It is given to us. There is nobody else on the planet that gets what a marriage gets, right? There's no other group of individuals that gets to be that way. It's unlike any other on the earth. You'll see more of God through your marriage. You'll see more of, about yourself through your marriage. God can wash you through your marriage. He will expose selfishness and crabbiness and all sorts of things that you didn't even realize were still in there until somebody rubs you. You're with that person all the time. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. That's like a constant flint sharpening your blade when you're around them all the time. It causes you to grow up. Marriage causes you to grow up. It causes you to be selfless, causes you to be committed, causes you to learn what commitment truly is. We live in a day and age where I mean, my kids have friends that have done eight sports already, which is fine if you're trying to figure it out. But we met a girl that was on Lydia's gymnastics team in the very beginning. She's been to this place and didn't like that. She's been to this place and didn't like that. And now they're at this place and they don't really like that either. But I'm like, you have a commitment issue. Like things aren't going your way and you have a commitment issue. You know, marriage teaches us commitment when we live in a Burger King world where we can have it our way. Even with church, people aren't committed. They don't like something pastor says. They just pack up and go somewhere else where it's easier. You know, marriage teaches you commitment. It should. I, Genesis 2.18, you can just write these down if you want to. God said it is not good for man to be alone. That teaches us from the beginning that man and woman are supposed to be together. If it was good for man to be alone, he would have never made Eve. 
But he said, I need to make him a helper. I need to make him a helpmeet, one of his own kind. And that verse, uh, one of the definitions of that is a strong military ally that can see the enemy. That's what that helpmeet is, a strong military ally that can help see the enemy. So it helps you to advance when your wife can help take out the enemy. It helps you to move further. Proverbs 18, 12, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And the New Living Translation of that verse says, the man who finds a wife finds a treasure. So you have my permission to call your spouse your treasure. Honey, you are my treasure. You are my treasure. And he or she, your spouse, should be your treasure. They're not your enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is your treasure. And when we treasure something, like we talked about that gift in the beginning, we take care of it. Even if that treasure has some cracks or some tinks or some chips. And we do, don't we? We live in a fallen world. Your spouse is not perfect. My spouse is not perfect. Even if you think he is, my spouse is not perfect. We're people. We have issues, we have failures, we have stuff, but we still treasure it. With people that love antiques, sometimes if they have a little scratch on them or something, it makes them more valuable, you know, but they still take care of it, even if it's a piece of fine china or a piece of fine whatever or a treasure from wherever, even if it has scratches. When pastor gets something he loves, he will get whatever it is and buff that thing out and shine it all up. He just got something not long ago, right before we left for Texas. And it had to be polished. And it had to be polished the night before we're leaving for Texas, even though we had 15 other things to do. I'm like, really, we need to do this right now. But he did because it was new and he treasured it and it was important. But he had to buff that thing out. And it's not a brand new thing. It's an old thing, but it's, it's on our mantle. Is that what you call it above the fireplace? It's on our mantle right now. It's all buffed and sitting up there. That's what you do with treasure. It's important to you right now. Your spouse should be that. Your heart should be that towards your spouse. You should want to take care of him or her like that. Buff her out real good. (laughs) The Bible says, um, In Proverbs 31.10, who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies? And then it goes on to say the heart of her husband safely trusts in her. It's It's a safe space. I hate to use that word. It's not a college campus safe space, but, uh, you know, in the world we live in. But there's safety there because you are going to see those chips in one another. You live together 24-7. You are going to see failures. You're going to see every weakness your spouse has. And you can either pray for those and encourage them or just hold them over their head like a wicked stepmother. Hold it against them. You know, the Bible exhorts us to not let the sun go down on our wrath or our anger. It is sin for us as husband and wife to carry around things that our spouse failed at two years ago and hold it against them today. If they have repented and it is done and gone, let it be done and gone. The Bible says faith today, right? Today is the day of salvation. 
Let's have faith today. Now, if your spouse is still sinning against you, that's something you got to work through because that's happening today. And I'm not saying we just forget those things and wash them away if we have to work through stuff. Like pastor's been talking to us about with our heart and everything, we can't just click our heels and believe it never happened. Sometimes if trust has been violated, we have to earn that back. There are sometimes steps that have to be taken. But we, as the other spouse, should not be holding that against them. The, the love of God takes no account of a suffered wrong. It doesn't hold the evil done to it against that person if they've asked for forgiveness. And sometimes we can hurt our marriages by doing that. That's not valuing that person. That's not treasuring them. That's not calling them the value of rubies or treasure. Or, and that doesn't allow them for their heart to even safely trust you. A heart can't safely trust in a situation like that because it feels like it's going to get stomped on or banged on like a bongo drum, you know? So we want to make sure that we're, we're quick to forgive in our marriages. Like I said, we will see each other's weaknesses and failures, but we should never exploit those or carry them around in our bag of, look what you did. That's what I called our bag of, look what you did. You did, but remember you did this. But I asked for forgiveness and you said you forgave me. Kids are really good at this. They will just, I forgive you. We make our kids repent and say, tell your brother you're sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. He'll say, I forgive you. And then they're done. Right? But sometimes as adults, we have, don't always just let that go with the I forgive you. But we need to be, be quick to do that. Genesis 2.24 tells us that's where a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they become one flesh. Again, it's God's desire for man and woman to be married. We get to be unified in every way possible. We get to be best friends. We get to be business partners with money. We get to make decisions together, parents together. We get to be lovers together. You get to be emotionally, physically, and mentally together. You don't get to do that with anybody else. It's a sacred place. It's a protected place in that regard. And the Bible tells us in Malachi 2.15 that God seeks godly offspring. And offspring is only supposed to come from husband and wife. So that further paints the picture that God wants us to be married. He wants us to be fruitful and multiply. If you look up be fruitful and multiply, he says that so many times in the first part of the Bible. Talks about nations be fruitful and multiply. That one passage said that kings, is it kings? We'll just say it says kings, something like that. But that kings will come from your loins. How cool is that? Like, when we went to the Sparta church, my first time, I went there for a board meeting with Pastor and Miss Sandra and the other ladies when it was first happening. And it was becoming part of EWC. I stood there just thinking of all the men and women that had labored for that place to even exist, to even become a place, to even exist through all of the stuff that had happened there and to still exist today, those men and women that had sacrificed, that had served, that had gone before, we think of here, Pastor Vaughn and all that he suffered and went through and sacrificed and did so that this church could come to be, but they're, they're dead and gone, but the work still goes on. And that's where your godly offspring will be here beyond you. I can't think of anything other than if you were to write books because they would live on after you. 
or have children that serve God. Your memories would be here, but unless they're written down in Scripture or a book somewhere, people will probably forget those eventually as generations. A hundred years ago, do you know your family from a hundred years ago? Unless they were really awesome and grandma and grandpa keeps telling you about them and it gets passed down from generation to generation to generation, but your offspring will be on this earth should the Lord tarry for forever if you teach them to serve God and they live for him. That, that's just, that's very cool to me. So you think of like, we're somebody's offspring, somebody that labored before, maybe even he and that didn't, but all of our offspring will be here doing great things for God, hopefully more than us. That's our goal, right? That our kids will go further, that they'll do greater things for God, and that legacy will just continue to go even in our absence. So God desires godly offspring. Another scripture that you can write down, Matthew 19, 6, so then they are no longer two but one flesh, what God has joined together, let not man separate. That's another verse that you can pray over your marriage. Deuteronomy 32, 30 talks about one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. That's a blessing of marriage. You have two people praying. You can accomplish more. You're in agreement. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold, threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's Ecclesiastes 4.12. Again, the strength and the unity that comes from a marriage. It's a blessing. It is a blessing. Matthew 18.19, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. That's your marriage. That's your bedroom. You're two in there. You're agreeing together. The Spirit of God is there. And the Bible says you can have what you pray for. Amen? Single folks, that can be your roommate. That can be your mom and dad. That can be your sibling. That can be your best friend. But that is a blessing from marriage. That, that's your best friend for life, your prayer partner for life, your lover for life, your your, your um, entertainment for life, if you have a funny spouse. <laughs> Mine is pretty funny. <laughs> so Genesis 9-1, I just want to say this one. God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So I want us to see just from that verse for anybody that thinks, ah, oh, maybe marriage isn't for me. God says it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be married, and it's a blessing to have kids. And if our thinking is not lined up with that, then we need to adjust our thinking to the Word of God. Amen? Because a lot of times, trauma can happen, or you have a terrible father, and sometimes more than girls more than young men, but their heart will harden, and they'll say, I don't ever want to be married. I don't ever want to be hurt like that. I saw my mom hurt, and I don't ever want to be like that. Listen, I saw my mom hurt, and I determined that I was going to get an education, and I was going to college. I was going to be able to take care of myself. That was my heart because I saw my mom hurt. So it happens, but we have to let our heart be softened by the Word of God. Even if your dad failed you, even if XYZ failed you, if you've been failed, welcome to the club. The Word of God still brings life and victory. Amen? We don't have to succumb. Why on earth let the devil win? My mom hurt my mom, you know? Why let him win in my life too? 
My mom serves God now, and, and she's good. But why let the devil win again? Kick him in the head and determine you're going to live for God. You're going to do things his way. Maybe it feels awkward to even say, I want to be married. Maybe you can't even say that and think, well, bless God. The Bible says it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be married. It's a blessing to be married. It's a blessing to be married. And then you get some more confidence about you, and you keep speaking the word, and it brings life to any situation. Focusing on marriage, but any situation. With the time I have remaining, I want us to look at Romans again, chapter 1. For those of us that are married, I want us to take caution with this verse. And for those of you that will be married, you can put this in your plan of what not to do or how to do it right. Amen? Romans 1 verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile or vain in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. I want us to look at that verse in the context of marriage and not being thankful, because we know God, right? We glorify God by obeying him. So obeying him would be being taking care of our spouse or being thankful. It goes on to say, they became vain in their thoughts. So let me ask you this. It's morning, the alarm goes off, and you roll over and you see your spouse. And you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad he married me. I'm so glad he still wants me. I'm so glad that he's thankful for me. Or, man, his breath stinks. Lord have mercy. I got to get up and make him some coffee. You know, what is your heart? You ask God. You may not know right now, and you may not want to tell me because you might be embarrassed. But are you thankful for your spouse? Their breath probably does stink in the morning. Fix them that coffee, and then it'll smell like coffee, you know. But it says they become vain in their thinking. What is your heart continually saying about your spouse? Thank you, Jesus, for my spouse. I thank you that he serves God. I thank you that he leads our home. I thank you that he loves our kids and takes care of them. I thank you that he has a good work ethic. I thank you that he's not lazy. Lord, you know I couldn't be married to a lazy man. I couldn't be. I would have never been attracted to him if he was lazy. But, or does it see all of those cracks and all of the times he misses it, or all of the times he fails, or all of the times he doesn't do, or she, put she in there if you're a man. She doesn't do what you wanted her to do. She burnt the whatever. She let food spoil again. She failed at her meal plan. She spent too much on the kids' clothes. Whatever it is your wife fails at. We all fail somewhere. And I'm not saying this is a get-out-of-jail-free card to just be stupid with your spouse and they have to forgive you and be thankful for you anyway. They do have to be thankful for you, but, you know, they might have a right to rebuke you if you're way out of line. But are you thankful or are you vain in your thinking towards your spouse? And the Bible goes on to say, and their foolish hearts are darkened. Your heart can become darkened towards your spouse, and it comes from your thinking. What are you thinking about your spouse? My goodness, she's put on 20 pounds. Lord, have mercy. Or, oh, thank you, Jesus. I get to practice conjugal rights. Marriage or conjugal is jail. Or is it that marriage rights too? I don't know. I get to make love to my spouse. Let's put it that way in the words I understand. Or you think, wow, he's really grown a lot of hair. 
I'm not sure I want to get naked next to that. (laughs) Or thank you, Jesus, he still wants to see me naked, you know? Come on, we all age together, right? Are you thankful is what I'm getting at. Your spouse is not perfect. Your spouse has not been airbrushed. Your spouse has probably birthed three, four, five babies. Or your spouse works long hours and tries to make time for exercise. Are we thankful for our spouse? That's what, because you're, it calls your heart foolish if you're thinking not right. Vain thinking towards your spouse is foolish. And it causes your heart to be darkened towards your spouse, the very one. Now, how on earth are your prayers? Because the Bible goes on to say, if you're honoring her, that your prayers may not be hindered. How on earth is God going to hear your prayers if you have a dark heart towards the one you're supposed to be praying with? Amen? So we glorify God in obeying him, and our heart can be darkened towards our spouse if we're thinking poorly towards them. And we'll just read you a few verses real quick. It says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. Let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy. Let them shout for joy and be glad. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. None of those gave you a choice. Right? It said do it. So your attitude, you just whip it up and say, no, I choose to be thankful for my spouse. We tell our children at home, it works because my kids can do it. Sometimes we will mope around half a day as an adult, but I tell my kids, listen, you failed at that. Yes, we prayed. God forgave you. I forgave you. We're not moping about this. You're forgiven. We're going to move on. And we just do. But as adults, sometimes, my goodness, your attitude is a choice. We choose happy. That's what we say at our house. Your attitude is a choice. Change it. Or I have a paddle that can help you. Right? As an adult, we don't get a paddle. But be thankful for your spouse. Just determine you're going to leave here and tell your spouse, thank you for marrying me. Thank you for not being grossed out when I take my clothes off. Thank you for doing my laundry. Thank you for fixing my food. Thank you for working. Thank you for providing for our family. Just be thankful. Amen? Amen. Don't wait for them to do everything just right for you. You set the atmosphere of thankfulness. I learned that with homeschooling, for those of you that do. Man, one kid having a bad attitude with homeschool... I tell them, you're not going to cause me to be grumpy. You're going to fix that attitude because you are not setting the atmosphere for this home. The Spirit of God lives here, and we're going to be thankful and happy. So you're going to do school with a good attitude. We can do that with our spouse. No, don't let your spouse's grump or your spouse's whatever. You choose the attitude for your home. You declare victory over your home. You declare, we serve God here, and we are so happy to take care of one another. We are so happy to serve one another around here. And pray over your spouse. Wash them with the word like the Bible says. God spoke to me a few years ago, maybe two or three. I don't remember now. But it was about my kids, my girls then. And he, he spoke to me. And, you know, they weren't completely naughty. They're little. But I was seeing things in them that I didn't like. And he spoke to me and he said, don't call them how they are acting. Declare over them what they are. 
So that applies to our marriage. Don't call your spouse how they're acting. He's failing at this. He's lying about this. She's whatever. I don't even, I can't even make stuff up that fast. Pastor's real good at that, but you fill in your own blanks. Don't call your spouse how they're acting. What's truth? How they're acting or the Word of God? The Word of God. Now, they might truly be acting a fool, but you declare, no, in Jesus' name, you're a giver. No, in Jesus' name, you honor our home. Whatever. You apply the Word of God, right? Don't call them how they're acting. I think, you know, it was Maybe selfishness, because my goodness, the Bible says selfishness is up in the heart of a child and the rod of correction will drive it foolishness. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of correction will drive it far from them. So I've seen all this foolishness. And you want to say, man, you're acting foolish. Yes, they might be, but say, no, I declare you have the mind of Christ. I declare you know how to control your emotions. And that's what I started doing over my children. But it applies to our marriage, too. So declare over your spouse what they are. I'm just going to read a few things here. Frustration is a lack of God's grace, and it will cause you to say stupid things. When you don't have God on the scene, you will say stupid things. (laughs) I'll skip that. Emotions raging can cause your mouth to go dumb and shoot holes in the boat of your marriage. Determine that in all things you're going to give thanks. Determine even when this situation is blowing up, I'm going to bite my tongue, I'm going to give thanks, we're going to get God on the scene, right? According to the word. Not for all things, but we're going to give thanks in all things. There are things not even worth talking about, let alone being thankful for, but even in the dark places, God's word is still true. You're still born again and there's still hope in him. So I'm going to just leave us off with 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read it to you out of the Amplified. So I'm going to read this here. It says, is your spouse going to fail you? Yes. Is your spouse going to disappoint you? Yes. Are your friends, apply that if you're single, are your friends going to disappoint you? Are your friends going to fail you? Are your kids going to fail you? Is your mom and dad going to fail you? Yep. I've had to repent to my kids. My oldest is only nine. I've had to repent to my kids. I have failed them. Not intentionally. My goodness, spousing and parenting are the two things I want to do best in this world. But I have failed at both of them. And I have to ask for forgiveness and God's help to do better the next time. Amen? So, your attitude's your choice. You are commanded to forgive and walk in love. When we disobey the word of God, it brings sadness to our marriages. It's that simple. Well, this is what we go rehearse with our children. Attitudes of choice, and we choose what? Happy. And disobedience brings what? Sadness. Disobedience makes us sad. And both of those apply to our marriage. We can choose the attitude of our marriage, and when we disobey the word of God, we hurt our marriage and we bring sadness to the one that's supposed to be our treasure. Amen. So let me read to you 1 Corinthians 13 out of the Amplified, and we'll close with that. It says, Even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food, and if I surrender my body to be burned, or in order that I may glory, but have not love, God's love in me, I gain nothing. Can you imagine that? You can surrender your body to be burned. You could be a sacrifice. But if, if it's not in the love of God, the Bible says it counts for nothing nothing. It is always about our heart, not what we do. It is always about our heart. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. We see that. 
He doesn't want us to just sacrifice. He wants us to obey him. Amen? Verse 4 says, love endures long. Apply this to your marriage. Endures long and is patient and kind. Are you patient with your spouse? Are you kind? Are you kind to your spouse? It should be easy, but that sin of familiarity can creep in there, and you treat them like trash, or they become common to you. They're no longer a treasure. They're no longer a value to you. They're no longer your prayer partner. You're not putting 10,000 to flight because you're kicking them in the shins because they hurt your feelings. You're mad at them. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. Man, by pride comes contention and strife. If you've ever had contention and strife in your marriage, you weren't doing verse 5 right here. Because the God kind of love doesn't do that. It is not rude or unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. You ever thrown a fit in your marriage? Ever acted crazy in your marriage? Ever been rude? Said something that you knew would smite your spouse? The God kind of love doesn't do those things. These are good verses to pray over ourselves because it brings life to our marriage. We declare these things and we can have them. Amen? Love, God's love in us, here we go, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. Anybody ever found any selfishness in them? This is our verse right here, right? It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. You don't have that bag of, look what you did to me two years ago. Pull your tricks out of there. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. All circumstances. Not just going great. All circumstances. And it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. Truly, as born-again believers, the love that we have for our spouse should be growing, not fading, not coming to an end, because we should be maturing in the things of God. We should be drawing closer to Him and therefore drawing closer to our spouse. You know, less of us and more of Him, and that allows us to love our spouse better when we're not just focused on us. Amen? Amen. So hopefully that encourages you. Hopefully you leave here thankful for your spouse. Hopefully you leave here believing God for when that spouse comes. Hopefully you leave here better able to pray for your friends or your coworkers or mom and dad or siblings if you're not married, because that's what I truly want for us. I, I am so thankful that God would say 30 minutes a day, Pastor and I have had great seasons of prayer in our marriage, but I, I don't honestly know that we if, have ever gone this long without missing a day. I mean, I had to get up at 4.30. We didn't do that before for him to travel and do. Get up at 4.30 so we could do our 30 minutes of prayer. You know, because it's an assignment from God, and I, don't, I pray that 
it becomes part of who we all are because I hope that you are, I mean, God has answered prayers for us and we have seen his hand already. And I just, you just, when you water things with the word of God, they grow. When you plant seed, the word of God, it grows. But if you don't ever plant it, and we saw these verses, when two agree together, you can have it, right? You know, you praying in your car on your way to work, your wife praying in the shower as she gets ready for work is not the same as you two coming together for a set time. And I know we have care deacons, and you pray for the couples that you have under you, but it's not the same as you taking your hearts and your marriage and your family and your finances and your weight and whatever it is that you're dealing with as husband and wife, when you're taking that together to the Lord, it makes a difference. So... Let's be thankful for our spouse, let's honor our spouse, and let's determine we're going to live according to the Bible regardless of what the world says. Amen? Because it does not want your marriage to succeed. The devil hates your marriage. He doesn't want your kids to be godly, but we just keep pressing on and show him God's word is greater. Amen?